Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And boy, isn't it right now? Yes. Uh, and I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Post. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you. We do. Um, so talk to me. I, I was actually, you know, let me do this while we're chatting. I wanted to check because uh, I not only thank you guys for tuning in, thank you for continuing the long lasting yeah. relationship. We've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah. And we are I'm looking at the <laughs> stats. We uh, the audience continues to grow and we are at uh, as of this recording, uh, over 50, almost 5,400 plays of our Yay. of our podcast, which is uh, oh, cool for us in. for where we are. So yeah, thank you everybody. Yeah. And for joining us from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like we have a little um, international spice in our audience list. <laughs> Any new countries pop up on this? Uh, you know, I was just looking. We've had an increase in, in audience from Japan. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> the Netherlands we now have. Oh, yay. Uh, I'm Dutch. Isn't that funny? <laughs> there, there you go. From Austin Powers. But, you know, it, pr primarily, our <laughs> folks, primarily our folks are from the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., uh, and uh, we primarily have a female audience, so thank you to Yay. those of you who've identified as such. Uh, we don't have any listed here as non-binary or non-specified, but uh, g give, given, uh, I know we do, given our one of our upcoming uh, sessions, yes. our, we, we're going to have an interesting discussion about all July this. 25th. July 25th. Tune in. I really love that. So we anything ahead of time with our guests, that's how we know it's coming. Yeah. Anything <laughs> new, anything new going on we should talk about with our audience before? Well, I, I just want to take a moment and say, you know, so the full title is keeping keeping your shit together in a stressed world, right? So what do we have? We have changes in national law. We have uh another mass shooting. I think this was our 301st mass shooting in the United States. Don't quote me, but I, that's the stat that somebody shared with me just recently. I think I, I want, I just want to say to any of you that are, are struggling with this social upheaval and, or recovering from a traumatic event or just feeling vicarious trauma, like vicarious trauma is you're much more at risk for vicarious trauma. If you've had trauma yourself and you're hearing about someone else's trauma. So I'm going to say again, our bodies were not meant to be aware of all the traumas and crises in all the tribes around the world at every given moment, all day long, at every minute, your body was meant to just handle the crises of your small tribe and get through it together as a village. 
So don't be afraid to turn off the news once in a while, take a news diet, just, you know, make sure you're completing that stress cycle of shaking the day off, like water off a duck's back in the, in the Qigong, just really applying your stress management skills these these days. You know, I I want to add one thing, and it is not to trivialize, minimize, nor ignore what's going on in the world around us. Uh, I mean, hell, we we've been now seeing shootings reported in countries yeah. where they don't do that, right? right. Um, so it's not just here in the U.S. I I want to underscore what Michelle has said, and it's because this is so close to what I've done for so many years. And that is the media is also manipulating some of what you read. Uh, It is to get your attention. It is to grab headlines. It is to, in, in many cases, certainly not all, but in many cases, to get more readers to enhance their ability to get advertising dollars. And I, I want to, again, not to disparage anything that's going on, but when we use the term mass shootings or mass killings, I think most people think of, mm-hmm. we've talked about 9-11, I think most people talk of, think hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. I think that they think about the shooting up in, in Las Vegas, where you have uh, a sniper shooting a lot of people. Yeah, I want you to, I want everybody to understand that a mass shooting is three people. Three or more. Yeah. And by the way, I think one shooting is too much. Uh, I'm not taking away from that, but I want you to understand that our heads, when you hear the term mass shooting, immediately that reptile brain kicks in. We're going to talk about trauma today. That reptile brain kicks in and says, oh my God, there's like a a hundred people. There's dozens of people. And all of that may be the, the case in that incident, yes. but it doesn't always mean that. And so uh, the way that mass shooting is usually defined is three, maybe four, depending on the agency, uh, but three or more people. And typically from different family groups, right? Like we also hear about issues with postpartum depression or murder-suicide incidents of domestic violence where, you know, three or more people may die in an, in an instance like that. Not, not the shooter, by the way, that, so when you hear it, the shooter's not in, counted in that. It counted, and, and, but it's usually not described as a mass shooting because it's the person's family, if that makes sense. Um, Am I it, right about that? Well, it, again, depends on the agency or the publication reporting it. I think now, at least the way I'm getting statistics to me, uh, it has nothing to do with family. It has more to do with the same general time and location. Okay. So, but it, and, it's all, it, it's different. And, and right. the point of this is you need to explore this. Don't just suddenly hear the term mass shooting or mass killing and immediately jump to conclusions. Yep. And and I'm going to reiterate what Scott said. One shooting is abhorrent. Okay. So one person yeah. randomly dying in a shooting is so that's not the point of what you're saying. Scott. Now you're I'm going to also reality test. I'm going to also add to this to I think this is what you were saying, Michelle. Um generally when you hear about a mass shooting or mass killing, it's in a it's it's a public, public situation. Mm-hmm. The situation Michelle's talking about is a non-public 
distinction. So I'm making that distinction in my head. I know Michelle is saying family members, but uh, usually the way I get reported is distinguished between private versus public. Yeah. Okay. And this is from all your work in government and yeah. police, uh, law enforcement, et cetera. Yeah. And it's, it's, but it's, it still it's, sucks. It still sucks. <laughs> yeah. And, and we've, yeah. you know, we certainly have chatted about this. It's, you know, what can you do to keep bringing back center for yourself to balance? That's why I do the Shunyata code sessions periodically about every six months is, okay. is to help people not cope, not ignore, not uh, deny, but to lean into where they are and just get a center and a balance. I was working right. with a client today, as a matter of fact, uh, we spent a great deal of time just working on mindfulness and getting them to notice their breath as a good little tip for everybody. Notice your breath, notice your hand, notice your foot, as simple as that. Yeah. Um, to, to, you can come back to the worry, the fret, the fear, the anger. You can come back to that at another time. I don't want you to not deal with it. Uh, what, what I do want you to do is to learn to separate out. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you'll periodically hear me refer to the Man Enough podcast, which is like, probably my favorite podcast outside of our own. Um, it's the second best podcast I've heard. Uh, I aspire to be like the man enough podcast, but I, I do really love that podcast. And I think it is a great resource for those of you um, out there. And I, I don't know why I was bringing this up. Uh, I think, oh, I do know why I was bringing this up is, um, Justin Baldoni, who is one of the hosts who wrote the book, Man Enough, he said he didn't realize for a long time until he was in therapy that his difficulty breathing deeply and having kind of shortness of breath from time to time was actually a mild panic attack. And so while you and I talk about stress, um, many people out there hear the word anxiety and think, oh, I don't have anxiety or I don't deal with anxiety, or, you know, I'm stress proof, or etc. You'd be surprised uh, how many people actually are dealing with anxiety and don't know it. So when you, Scott, were talking about helping people stay present and breathing and learning about breath, it is a great counter to stress and anxiety breath work and being conscious and mindful of your breathing and staying present. And I will tell you why I, I find what you just said so important. Uh, over the last week, I've had more people tell me they've been to a, a doctor, uh -huh. a healthcare provider, with the resulting question from the doctor, how much stress you have in your life right now. Uh -huh. they, they seem to be keen in on it. Now, the challenge, of course, becomes... What do they do, do with it once they once they <laughs> once they do that? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I think Michelle, you'll admit, I certainly will. Even though you and I teach this stuff, yep. even though we practice it, you know, I do my deep breathing and my meditation and my qigong and my rope flow and I walk my my labyrinth. You know, we we get a certain response mechanism which will tie in with today's show, by the way, that we've learned, I think, over 
our lifetimes potentially handed down to us not only from our parents which is what today's show is about uh but grandparents and you certainly you know folks you've heard me talk about the intergenerational transgenerational stuff that gets handed down dna wise and the studies that have been done on that so even if you have coping skills that doesn't mean you're immune from it Uh, that's exactly right it means you have something to use when you need it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and, and I will tell you, uh, as you begin your journey, if you haven't started yet, as you begin your journey along the mindfulness slash meditation, they are not the same thing. The mindfulness and meditation path, you're also going to find it's that reticular activating system kicks in, at least if you're like me, where it's like, Oh, good. Let's go look for stress and see if it works. Oh, good. Let's go do this and see if it works. I can apply this to everything, right? And so suddenly you suddenly you find yourself actually in almost a counterintuitive way. You find yourself creating stress that isn't there. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So the idea, by the way, is to catch yourself, no matter where it's coming from. But notice the title of our podcast is keeping your shit together in a stressed world. It's not having a stress-free world. It's not being stressed immune to the world. It's not, I've got my stuff all together in a stressed world. (laughs) We called it that on purpose because we are actively learning. We are actively learning and actively practicing ourselves and much more transparent here than, than I am with my own private clients about the things that I've learned to manage and kind of have conquered. Well, you bring up, I have left, I have left to conquer. (laughs) You bring up an intro. You now bring up another topic before we jump into today's topic real quick. Um, Do you, cause you're a therapist. Yes. I am not. Yes. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach, right? I, I help people fix things that are broken. That's kind of what I do. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not the guy that goes backwards and you're going to notice that today, folks, I'm not the guy that goes backwards (laughs) and, and looks for the stuff we're going to talk about today. Although I may touch on it. I'm curious, Michelle, do you, as a therapist in a Mm -hmm. therapy setting Mm -hmm. ever share personal stories or do you keep that, keep that out of the session? Right. So early on in your training, because they don't want you to do harm. So maleficence right um do do no harm do no harm they really encourage new therapists to not share anything about themselves okay but depending on your theoretical orientation you know if you are a freudian blank slate you never share anything about yourself but if you're a cognitive behavioral therapist like i am then your search, ideally, we would have a group or a family together and that family and group would come up with all their own ideas and all their own experiences and all their own normalizing. But when you don't have a way to help an individual one-on-one client feel validated and normal, sometimes you will briefly, good therapists will make sure that's brief, but you will briefly discuss challenges that you have faced. And typically it's only those that you have found some peace around or because you're trying to help the client have hope that they too can resolve this. So number one, if you're in counseling with a therapist that is talking a lot about themselves, uh, you might want to think about changing therapists. Um, (laughs) Number two, 
the point of the therapist sharing something should feel directly related to what you're talking about. So those are two red flags that you may be in with a poorly trained or poorly executing therapist. If they're talking a lot about their own personal problems, it's not relating to what you're doing and they are not teaching you, but they are taking up your time. Like you're you're taking up your taking up your time with their problems. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I, as I've gotten more and more skilled as a therapist, then I sit with, is it important for me to share and relate with this client? Or do I need to tell them about another client that can relate to them? Because it's not about me doing my work in that session. It is all about the client and, and what I'm perceiving the client needs. And that is a skilled therapist. Cool. Well, speaking okay. of skilled, speaking <laughs> of skilled therapist, this is kind of your show today okay. um, because this is your focus. And I'm going to kind of turn this over to you yeah. to lead us uh, about the topic and, and I'll ask yeah. questions along the way. Oh, good. So how much did your childhood wound you? You know, I think there's a little bit of a preface. Again, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist where we are less concerned necessarily about constantly going back to your family of origin and processing through things with your mom, your dad, your brother, your teachers, your childhood, your teenage years. We're less interested in that than we are in teaching you how those old repetitive messages are are past erroneous learnings or they're not helpful messaging and how to reframe them into something that's helpful for your present day. So that's typically when we'll go back in the past. Now that said, I also do some gestalt work, which is very, it's Fritz Pearls. And we do look at unfinished business from the past, be it your thirties or your twenties or your teens or your childhood. And I I get some resistance from some of my clients from time to time, not resistance, but questions like, why are, you know, why are we talking about our childhood? And, you know, new insight, right? Lived experience. I start to think about other examples of why childhood or teenage years has such an impact on your current day. And the example I came up with in medicine is skin cancer. If you talk to any dermatologist or skin specialist, they will tell you that the majority of the damage that was done to your skin was done in your childhood or your teenage or your young adult years. Now, if you couple that with what we know about brain development, we now know that the human brain has stages of development and isn't fully prefrontal cortex adult neurochemistry until age 25 to 29. So if you have something negative happen to you when your brain is forming, it would be like breaking an arm, having a scar, something, something, something to your body in childhood or teenage years that affects you maybe for the rest of your life or you carry with you for the rest of your life. The same is true for emotional scars or neural pathway connections that happen in childhood. So that's why I'm so interested in talking about this topic today, because I'll give you an example. I'm in a modern day session with a couple recently, and they're arguing about how a trip was planned or not planned enough. 
um, for somebody's taste and, and they're frustrated with each other. And they're not just frustrated with each other, but they're upset about how upset they got about it. They're like, why, why do I have to get so upset about something like planning a vacation? And then they began to beat themselves up about not planning enough or not handling it well or being over emotional. So here's a rule of thumb. If it's hysterical, it's historical. If you're having big emotions about something, it's probably 10 to 20% about the present moment and a good 80 to 90% about the past, past hurts, past wounds, past things that have not been done. So in this current situation, you know, we worked out like, how could they communicate surface level, modern? How do you communicate about this better? How do you act more clearly? What were the assumptions that you made and, and didn't articulate? What expectations did you have, but you didn't actually talk about? So we talked about all the present stuff. And I was like, okay, now this is an advanced couple who I know is open to this. So I said, now that we got all this modern day solution out of the way, where's the historical piece? Where's the, where are these big emotions coming up? One person, I said to one person, you know, when have you said to a caregiver or someone that you love before, I really have this need and you've been let down. And immediately he, she said, oh, you know, my parent, my parent historically would not show up. No, no matter how big the event was, no matter how much I said I needed something flaky, flaky, flaky. And I just felt like I wasn't good enough. If I would have been good enough my, or, or interesting enough or the event was big enough or I was successful enough, my parent would show up to you would my have mattered. game, my, you know, my art performance, my drama, whatever it is. And then I turned to the other couple, oh, the other person in the couple. Well, you know, when have you felt like no matter what effort you put in, it's, it's not good enough? What, how old is this? Oh, all the time. I would see my mom and dad arguing. Uh, so my dad would make a stupid mistake. My mom would belittle him. I'd wonder when am I going to make a stupid mistake and my mom's going to belittle me. I better be perfect. I better be perfect and odor free <coughs> or the person that's supposed to love me is going to attack my, my, my being. So now, now you got a couple that are fiercely arguing over this modern day thing, <laughs> but they're not fiercely arguing over the modern day thing. They're trying to heal an old pattern in their life of not feeling good enough, overcompensating, undercompensating, et cetera. So that's a modern day example, but there's also a and any thoughts or questions? Do you see well, that my, at all? My, but, you know, I love what you're saying because one of the things I routinely ask my clients, my coaching clients is, where did you learn that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little different than what you're doing. It's just, where did you learn that? Because I believe that they model a lot of this stuff. You know, you model your dad, you model your mom, and I've got techniques for figuring out which one it is that we won't go into right now. I, I'm really curious though, that when you have trauma that's carried forward from childhood, mm -hmm which is affecting your current relationships with yes. anybody. Yes. How do you catch yourself? How do you yeah. actually catch yourself in the moment that says, I'm using Scott's uh -huh. language now, dumbass, you're doing it again. <laughs> well, number one, if it's hysterical, okay, that's your, that's your red flag. Like I'm having really big emotions. 
but do you actually catch yourself when you do that? You know, when, oh, when I, I <laughs> well, I sometimes don't, I'll admit that sometimes I fail. I, don't. I fail, particularly if I get angry, okay. that anger takes over and it's like scorched earth. We've talked about this kind of <laughs> stuff before. Yes, yes. Um, this, you know, fuck it all. Um, <laughs> and then after the fact, it's like, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, this is not good. This is not good. You know, one of the first things Scott learned, one of the first lessons Scott learned is never make a decision, say anything or do anything when you're angry. Oh, yes. No, I learned That's it. I just, I, I learned it. Sometimes I don't practice it. How yes. is, is there a technique other than mindfulness, other than literally just learning new tools and skill sets like you and I teach others, uh -huh. but that listeners can put into effect when they're hysterical? Uh -huh. suddenly de-escalate or distance from the situation yes well if you have a loving partner parent friend that's engaged in this with you and they can hold up like whoa hey like if you're not insightful enough about it is someone else insightful enough to go whoa and then can you take that and instead of getting defensive self-reflect so number one you you got to be able to know you're in one of these moments um, and if you don't and you mess up, go back and do the repair work. So We're I'm going to tell you need to do repair work. I'm going to tell you something that I came up with and I don't pretend to be a BDSM expert. Let's uh -huh. just start with that. Okay. But I love the concept of a safe word, right? Yes, a, a safe, safe a safe word in that kind of, we'll call it play yep. is something you use with a partner when things are too intense, painful, or start to creep past acceptable boundaries. That's right. Right. And I'm very, by the way, emotional. I think you guys can tell that. I'm very intense. I think you yeah. guys can tell that. I sometimes am not aware that I'm projecting out yes. stuff, crap. Yes. Yes. And it's very helpful yes. to have a safe word. Yes. Uh, if we don't use it all the time, but it's like, Scott, you're doing it again. Or mm -hmm. in my case, a touch, a way of touching is like, yeah. hey, hey. <laughs> and to interrupt that hysterical pattern, as you've called it. Exactly. So a safe word, a safe touch, a signal, pulling of the ear, touching of the nose, you know, something that creates the insight that we're here. And then you need to time out and regulate, right? So you've got to say some word, like, give me a moment, time out, put the T up on your hands if you can't speak, because here's the reality we're going to dive into adverse childhood experiences today. And if you do have real childhood trauma, the chances that you will see red faster than you can even be aware or freeze if that's your trauma response or dash out of the room and not like not be able to say anything to your partner, friend, whatever, and they feel abandoned, like the chances that you'll move right into your trauma response and not even realize that you're doing it is strong. So I would say the other preventative thing that you do is if this podcast is bringing up for you, oh, I've got some adverse childhood experiences and trauma that I have never dealt with. Go see someone, get EMDR or brain spotting, get eye movement desensitization reprocessing, see a therapist, work on your trauma because you will recreate the trauma experience over and over again, you're susceptible to all kinds of illnesses and injuries because of past trauma that hasn't been addressed. So 
So my point is like, I'm going to normalize that you may not have awareness and you need to grow awareness. You may need treatment in order to help you do that. And, and then of course, if you have a, a loving friend or partner or accountability partner or romantic partner or someone that can, can be patient with you as you, you heal through this, that's super Well, uh, you, you mentioned it. What is this ACE thing of which you speak? <laughs> this ACE thing. So feel free, those of you listening, to look up acesaware.org, A-C-E-S, aware, A-W-A-R-E.org, all one word, no, no dots between the two. And ACEs stand for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Granted, it is a California-based research organization, but it has caught waves across the entire U.S. because of the support behind it, California Surgeon General, the Clinical Advisory Committee, just ages and ages and ages of research that has been done to help us understand. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you look up the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire for adults, you can take this test, but I'm going to go through it. And then I'm going to highlight a couple of in interpretations of your results. So maybe grab a pen or paper or come back to this podcast if you're driving and take this test because I want you to score it. It has tremendous impact on your health and well-being. All right, I'm going to do it with you because I've never done this before. Okay, great. Okay. I don't know that I'll give you the results, but I'll tell no, you about it. You may not want to. You might want your own privacy. So, okay, so below is a list of 10 categories of adverse childhood experiences. From the list below, place a check mark next to each adverse childhood experience category that you experienced prior to your 18th birthday. So how does my childhood affect me? This is prior to your 18th birthday. And then you're going to total your number. Okay, so the first one, did you feel that you didn't have enough to eat had to wear dirty clothes or had no one to protect or take care of you ever before age 18? Check yes, if yes, and, and leave it blank if no. Did you lose a parent through divorce, abandonment, death, or other reason before age 18? Okay. Did you ever live with anyone who was depressed mentally ill or who attempted suicide before age 18? Did you live with anyone who had a problem with drinking or using drugs, including prescription drugs before age 18? Did your parents or adults in your home ever hit, punch, beat, or even verbally threaten to harm each other before age 18? Did you live with anyone who went to jail or prison? Did a parent or adult in your home ever swear at you, cuss at you, insult you, put you down verbally, um, what we would call emotionally abuse you? Did a parent or adult in your home ever hit, beat, kick, push, slap, grab, pinch, physically hurt you in any way? 
And yes, if they did not, if they spanked you with more than an open hand on a covered bottom, that counts. So if they used a spoon or a belt or made you take your pants down or made you go outside and get a switch um, or used a hairbrush, any object to physically punish you, that counts, okay? Did you feel that no one in your family loved you or thought that you were special? And lastly, did you experience unwanted sexual contact like fondling, oral, anal, vaginal intercourse or penetration before age 18? And then the, the, the very last question is, do you believe that these experiences have affected your health? Not much, some, a lot. Okay. Now for time's sake, fast forward, you add these up. Here's the thing. If you have at least one adverse childhood event listed, just one, there's an 87% chance that you had two or more. So one usually means there's more than one. Not always though, you know, about 20 something percent of the time, that's not true. The higher your score, the higher risk you have for later health problems, including the correlations with cancer, coronary heart disease, not to mention chronic depression, being the victim of violence yourself or perpetrating violence against others. And if your ACE score is one to three, so you have one to three, but you know more than zero, um, there is an intermediate risk that you are susceptible to toxic stress. So that means stressors happen in your environment and you handle them more difficultly with more challenge than other people. Um, and if you had a score of four or higher, you're at high risk for toxic stress. And then lastly, here's the whopper. If your ACE score is six or higher, you are at high risk for having 20 years left of life expectancy. Wow. Oh my God. We don't let... Wow. Serious? <laughs> wow. Now, 20 I, I, years shorter the, life expectancy. Oh, 20 years shorter. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I heard you say that when, when I heard you say that, it was like, you take the test, you've got 20 years left. And, no, it, was, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and it likened back, by the way, there's all these things floating around right now. I, I don't know that they're right or not, but like if you can balance on one leg, you've got at least 10 years left in your life. I don't want our listeners to suddenly no, no, go, no, okay. No, no. Yes. No. So number one, if, if you're not ready to see a therapist and you've got a score that's more than zero <laughs> or a coach, start with like YouTube, Tony Porter, the man box, like just watch his video, read some of his materials, et cetera. Um, re-listen to some of our podcasts. We give you such good tips for dealing with stress and anxiety. If this is your first one, go backwards. Um, the Man Enough podcast is all about recovering from some of these neuro, poor neuro connections. So that's a great resource. And it's also a book. You know, coaches, therapists, um, even taking a class on meditation, mindfulness, yoga, you know, some, some developing a better spiritual practice. These are all great resources for you if suddenly you're overwhelmed by the fact that <laughs> I have an ACE score. 
what he now I, I don't want to take away because of time I don't want to take away if there's more of this test you want to go through no 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 That's but I have a I have asked. a I have a question yeah and I noticed that when you asked the questions it was a parent or adult in your life yes um I'm going to relate a childhood thing that happened to me that by the way, I'm not revealing anything personal because it was very public um, and lots of people knew about it. When I was 13 years old, uh, my best friend was over at my house and he said, let me go across the street and get our other friend yeah. and make a very long story short for sake of time. Um, the friend who lived in the house across the street shot my friend. Wow. And yeah. So how does, is that an, a childhood trauma that would add to this situation? Because I ran over to the house, frankly, I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Um, I remember the, them bringing my best friend's body out, lucky yeah. me. And then my dad wound up having to go and identify the body. So I lived yes. through all that. I was out of school for quite a long time. Is, that's not in any of the scores that it's you gave. Not in any, you're right. It's not in any of the scores. And I would definitely consider that a traumatic loss. Um, I don't know how it crosses over with the ACE study and their statistical implications. So witnessing the traumatic death or being told of a traumatic death of a peer or a sibling, I imagine would be an adverse childhood experience, but um, or it would be a trauma. But I don't know if it's considered the type of adverse childhood experience that then leads to health problems. Got it. Um, coronary disease. Can't like I don't know that. I do know that um, the thing wrong with the one I listed for adults here was lose a parent through divorce, abandonment, death, or other reason. Um, it needs to also be a caregiver. Many people were raised by a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, not necessarily a parent. Right. So it would be a caregiver, like an adult caregiver in your life. So anytime I use the word parent, you want to replace that with an adult caregiver. And then likewise, my work in children's grief would tell me that the death of a sibling or a peer is definitely a traumatic event to watch for. I just don't know. You're right. I don't know how it applies to the ACEs. And, and the reason I ask this is... Uh, because I'm sure other people have gone through quote traumatic things. Yes. Um, but a lot of the times when I work with, with folks on my end, particularly with self-confidence and creativity and self-compassion, et cetera, uh, one of the things that we find is that there has been some absence, loss, divorce, or death in the family. And there's a vacancy in that family structure yeah. that they or someone else had to feel. And that's actually also created the trauma. Yes. Yes. I do believe that there are other traumas that greatly affect us. I just don't know the link between the ACEs outcome stats and those traumas. But for instance, I just attended a workshop on juvenile, juvenile detention centers and grief and loss. And there was a study of like thousands of juvenile um, deten detainees and something like 83% of them had experienced 2.75 average deaths. And many wow. of which were trauma, murder, suicide, um, physical, physical manslaughter in front of them, et cetera. So the, the link between 
childhood delinquency and then moving forward, I imagine, in the legal system and in, in prisons. Because if you, another great movie to watch is The Mask You Live In, which is all about juvenile lifers and the, the lack of permission to be an existing human being as a child, not enabling them to see the value of another human's life. So why does it matter if I abuse them yeah. or, or take their life? Um, so very much childhood deaths and, and traumas linked with, uh, and, and most, and in these studies, there were San Diego, Florida, Illinois, like it was just such a good workshop about the challenges of, of dealing with death and grief and, and not being, not being handled and what it does to cause children to act out. So let me, let, let me pose this, maybe it's a final question because we're, we're coming up on the end here, but what's the point? Let me, let me just ask the, you know, let me be the skeptic for a moment yeah. and say, Michelle, why do we need to know the cause or the root of how we're feeling now? What's the point of all this? Who cares? It, what a fun little exercise to do this thing <laughs> and come up with a score. What does it matter? Okay. Uh, so number one, do you have children or grandchildren? And if you can say yes, then you need to look at your own impact on those children and grandchildren. Okay. Number two, are you in a relationship with anyone carrying trauma forward that has not been addressed? And do you find that you have hysterical reactions to things that, that you, you have difficulty sustaining your relationship or there's conflict in your relationship or you're attracting partners or jobs or, or things that are just a bunch of crap, like just, you know, bring you all the stress in your life. It, you know, <laughs> what's that saying that you said? If, if everybody's an asshole, then maybe I'm the asshole. Um, and I don't think that's true about trauma, but if everything's stressful and traumatic, maybe I'm the one bringing trauma forward and I'm attracting it again to my life. So the point of the exercise is, does your childhood affect you? Yes, because these are just adverse childhood of, you know, reactions. This is not that time you fell down and skinned your knee and someone in your family said, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about or stop being a wuss. This, this doesn't even include any of those things why are you being such a girl right why do you like pink you're a boy you know what it doesn't even include all of that messaging that we get as a kid or how boys are asked what they're reading and what their hobbies are and girls are told how pretty they are you know even today at yeah. age three and five um you know it doesn't even include all of that societal messaging so does our childhood affect us yes are you working on reprogramming? And there's the, there's the important part for me that I want all of our listeners to understand is we are offering you insights, options, and inspiration yeah. to, to move forward. As I like to joke from, you know, as good as it gets, you make me want to be a better person. Yeah. Um, and, and I can say this again, Michelle and I come at it from different perspectives, but we get it to the same place. Mm -hmm. You know, when I work with a client and I give them the metaphor of driving a car, if they continually get a flat tire, yes. they might want to ask themselves what do they keep driving over. Right. Do I <laughs> need a new tire? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, to simply ignore the fact that the tire keeps getting flat means you're spending lots of money, yes. energy, time, et cetera. You're spending lots of money fixing a problem that's fixable. Yes. Yes. 
And we want you to know this is the hope part of it. This is fixable. Yes. You can heal from this. This is not a lifelong sentence. There's good treatments out there, all kinds. Yeah. And don't so. let, don't let this stuff define you. I mean, I'm big, I'm a big person of pick your definition, pick your life story, create your own myth, live large. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have to be, well, I'm the, I'm, I'm the child of an adult psychotic. I'm the child of an adult alcoholic. I mean, the child of an adult abuser. I'm the child of all of those may be the truth. Mm-hmm. They may have actually happened. It doesn't mean that's who you are. Mm-hmm. It means that happened to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that would be the point is if you're totally happy and satisfied with your life, why are you listening to us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on as a guest and tell us your secrets. If there are areas of your life you need to improve and there's any link to your childhood, which my guess is there is, work on it. Perfect. All right. We're going to bring this to an end today. Um, next week. I'm very excited. Uh, actually, someone you brought on the show, Fran Solomon yeah. is returning. And we're going to talk about grief as the great teacher. And it should be a very exciting show. I love this woman. Uh, I, I was so taken by her when she was a guest that I asked Michelle, please, can we have her back? Yes, yes, so. yes. I'm super excited that Fran will join us again. And if you want to get to know her, check out her nonprofit foundation, healgrief.org. All right. Uh, with that, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, entertaining the thoughts and insights that we're giving you. If you have any questions, you can reach out to Michelle or me through our websites. Michelle, how do they get you? Uh, postinternationalinc.com. And you can find me at thinkingmagically.com. And with that, have a great rest of the day, everybody. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.